7.05 and welcome into a very special Christmas Eve edition of Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo as well. Ira not in studio with us. He's been gallivanting around the States taking in different sports events. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But Ira, here we are. One week of football left. And this, I keep saying it, this might be the most exciting season that I can remember. And, you know, we're going to come down to it next week. Uh, Sunday night is actually going to decide probably the AFC championship or the AFC uh, final spot between uh, the Texans, uh, not Texans, the Colts playing the Titans. So, Ira, this has just been a really, really great sports year for me. Uh, this and this NFL year has been fantastic. I mean, as a Steeler fan, it's been tragic, I would say. But from the, com- <laughs> the, the games, I mean, just last night watching that game uh, between the Seahawks and the Chiefs and watching Mahomes and Russell Wilson just make one incredible play after another, just each one of them, each team coming up with great plays. Um, in the middle of the year, we thought offense was going to be dominated. Every game was going to be 60 to 70. And then suddenly now the defense comes better and you have teams like the Bears playing great defense and the Ravens. Uh, it's just been a, it's been the twists and turns, and I just think it sets up for a tremendous postseason. When you look at it, I I almost can make the case for every single team that makes the playoffs that you could make this case. Besides maybe Tennessee, that's the only one I say I, mean, I probably can't, <laughs> would win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, it's going to be this playoffs over the next uh, six weeks after next weekend is going to be or they play four three weeks and then they play one week off of the Super Bowl next month going to be tremendous. You know, it goes back to what I've been saying here on Iron Sports. There's quite a few good teams. There's no great team. And that's why every week, I mean, who would have thought Chicago would have to you know, fight to beat San Francisco yesterday after what they've been doing? The Chiefs, you know, lost a big game. This was just another week in the life of the NFL where I have no idea what's going to happen week to week. I did pick the Baltimore game. I did did pick that upset after picking the Chiefs upset the week before, but it's it's almost impossible to pick. Everybody I know who's a gambler has been having a really, really tough go uh, this football season. Ira, we'll start off the show like we do every week. First of all, where are you now? I'm still in New Orleans. This is the first time I've been to 26 of the 32 NFL stadiums. And this was my, I was at 25. And so yesterday I was at my 26. I've never been to New Orleans for a Saints game. I've been in the Superdome before, but never for a football game. And it was, it was great. It was everything I expected. You know, is it just me? I've only been inside a dome once for a football game, and it was in Atlanta. Uh, we've talked about it on the show, the you know, Giants getting shut out as I traveled there. Is it a little bit different for you seeing football in a closed roof? Because for me, it was so weird being in Atlanta. Well, I think I've been to, the, I've been to other dome stadiums, Indianapolis last year, Detroit last year. Uh, and this is different, though. This is the largest dome. It's 76,000 seats. It was built in 1975. It's the largest dome in the world. Um, and when you just walked in, the moment, like when you walk in the stadium, you get that first, like, wow. I mean, I'm like a little kid. I mean, I, the moment I walk in, I'm like, I'm, I don't forget what I, and I just walked in and they started, I flew across the country. I was in San Francisco for an event and literally flew across the country, just barely made the game. I, I landed an hour and 25 minutes before the game started, went from the airport to the, 
uh, to have dropped my bags off at a hotel that I wasn't even staying at just to put my bag somewhere. <laughs> Literally ran to the stadium, waited in line outside, get into the stadium, and they're playing the, the Star Spangled Banner. I could not, I mean, I could not have uh, traveled the whole way across the country and made it for the Star Spangled Banner. And the moment when I walked in, the Star Spangled Banner was playing. It's like, it, it, this, it, it's impressive. It's high, there's three levels, and each, it, the seats seem to go up forever. I mean, I, I guess the high seats would be poor. Um, it, it looks a little bit like uh, AT&T Stadium, where the Cowboys play, in terms of that size, and, the, and the, uh, just so big on both sides. Um, and I just thought it was just awesome to be there. And I think the history of the stadium was pretty neat. I, I, as you know, I love the history of sports. It's hosted seven Super Bowls. You remember the Ravens 49ers power outage yeah. game uh, in Super Bowl 36 in 2002 when Brady won his first over the Rams in uh, 2017, uh, Super Bowl 31 when Brett Favre won a Super Bowl uh, over the Patriots, and uh, no one can forget the refrigerator Perry uh, 1986 Bears team that beat the Pats 46-10, which some people consider the greatest team of all time. It hosted five, fi- how about five Final Fours, last one with Anthony Davis of Kentucky won, and it was this place where Keith Smart for Indiana, when they won the national champion, hit the last shot, and Michael Jordan hit his last shot there. And the Leonard Duran no-moss fight, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran, one of the most famous, famous boxing matches of all mm-hmm. time, when Duran was supposedly unbeatable and just gave up and said, I'm not fighting anymore, it was right there. So it is really one of the greatest, uh, you know, they, they always call Madison Square Garden as the greatest arena and Yankee Stadium. This is really... Uh, the American sports stadium of the modern times. I had no idea that it had hosted so many events. That's what you being the historian you are, of course, uh, we're on top of that. I, I wrote, I've never been to New Orleans, so of course I've never been uh, I've never been to the Superdome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what the atmosphere was like and how is the stadium situated? Is it in downtown area? Is there stuff to do or is it more, you know, set back? Well, it is it's great. I mean, first of all, the stadium is right around next to the Smoothie King Center where they play basketball. So it's right in the heart of downtown. You can walk out of the stadium and you have maybe a 10-minute, 15-minute walk to Bourbon Street. There's bars and restaurants all around the stadium. There's bars and restaurants, the most bars and restaurants in the world, maybe, you know, down at Bourbon Street. So it really is in a situ- it's in a great location. It's so big. I mean, you land on a plane, you see it. When you're walking toward it, you see it. The fans are amazing. They are all decked out in Saints. They're not just wearing uniforms. They're wearing the beads and the hats and the scarves and everything that goes with it. I mean, they are totally decked out for Saints. They are, it's all the colors, everyone. And there's no one in the stadium that's not dressed. I mean, I remember when I went to the Kansas City game, everyone's wearing red. In the Saints, everyone was wearing the black and gold. Like, it's not the Steeler black and gold. It's the different type of color. They say black and gold. But the Saints were always popular. Even when they were the Aints and when they were terrible for all those years, they still had a strong fan base. And now that they're great and they're the number one seed, their fans just turn out. They're excited. They, it was just it's amazing. It's great. And it was great to see the Steeler fans, too, because the Steeler fans, of course, travel well. And there were tens of thousands of Steeler fans at the game also, as always there are. So it just made for a tremendous, tremendous game. Yeah, I was going to ask, what was the uh, what was the mix there? You know, it, it's, it's interesting because, that, like you said, that's a rabid fan base. I'm sure there's tons of season ticket holders. and So I was thinking it was maybe going to be like 75, 25 Saints fans. How was how it when you were there? I think I, I think it was like seventy five twenty five or eighty twenty. I mean, there were it, it was hard to tell because the colors are so similar. It wasn't <laughs> like you're at a game with the other teams. Like everybody was wearing black and gold. So it's like it's and it's so funny that they play that song black and yellow, black and yellow, which yeah. is like the Steelers song. That's the they Steelers were playing that same song. Like a lot of songs they play at Steelers games, they're also playing at the Saints games, but that's their song. Um, but I mean, the fans were great, and also they as everywhere I go, the fans were 
awesome. I mean, they were nice to Steeler fans. They were like, great. I mean, I bought a ticket. How about this story? I bought a ticket on Ticketmaster. So I come in and I, and I hate the fact that I buy these tickets on Ticketmaster and I don't really have anything. That's why I get these little pins that they show that you were there. They're called game day pins. Mm-hmm. So I always buy these game day pins and I buy a bunch of them, give them some, some friends of mine that have kids that love to collect these also. They, they actually got me into doing it. Now I, have to, I buy my own pin. And, uh, but you don't have the tickets, the, the nice boss ticket. So I have a Ticketmaster ticket. And um, this, I sit down, I'm talking to people next to me, and the guy goes, you know, you bought my ticket. I go, great. He goes, you know what, I brought you the ticket in case you want it, because I've heard you've been to so many games. He actually gave me the ticket, the, the real copy. ticket, the hard ticket, which was really nice on boss. And I thought that was, that was a nice gesture. Here's a big thing, Dan. He's had these tickets for a zillion years, and he's given me a ticket of the game so I can at least have a, a, something to, you know, some memory of the game, I guess. These are the kind of things that uh, only happen, you know, in sports communities, like cute little things like that. The guy knew that you'd want the hard copy of the ticket, so he brought it. That, that's, that's really awesome and uh, goes to show the uh, Christmas holiday spirit. And this is your Christmas Eve no, edition. No, but I think it's but- all – I think it's all I, – I tell you, everywhere I've been, whether it's been Oakland this year, uh, whether even, even Cincinnati, I mean, I'm even rivals of the Steelers. I, I said, I think the fans have been great. I wear Steelers. People said, Can you, I can't believe you wear Steeler colors. I'm like, I don't get in. People love it. I mean, they are, people are wonderful. And the only place – I tell you, the two stadiums – are Cleveland and Philly, and Philly is the worst. And, and I'm telling you, when you talk to people like I talk to, and I say, I mentioned, I tell them how I'm, I'm, everywhere I travel, I don't get any problems, and they say, yeah, but you haven't been to Philly. I go, oh, I know Philly. It's like, they have this reputation that's awful, and I really think that the Eagles, I think it's an embarrassment to the city and to their team that they have this reputation that they're so mean and, and, and to, to other sports fans of other teams. I don't think it's a positive, and I think they embrace it, but I, I, think, the te- I think it stems from the top, from the team, from the city, and I think they got to do something about it because they can't be no. You there, I? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, but you chopped out there for a second. Um, you were saying about how the uh, <laughs> how they really might want to do something about it, but I, I think you're right. I, I think the Philadelphia fan base embraces the fact that they're hated and people look down on them. Right. I mean, I was there for the uh, championship game last year against the Vikings, and the, the, just the swearing at the Viking fans, the yelling at people that weren't swearing back, like little old ladies, little kids wearing Viking little, you know, making fun. I mean, it's just, are you guys crazy? Like, this is this little kid's like 12 years old, and you're screaming and swearing at him. Like, that, you think that's normal behavior from a 50-year-old male to be yelling at a 12-year-old kid just because the kid is so excited that he's a Viking fan and he wants to come to the game. Like, let him enjoy the game. It's an exciting, you know, don't scream and swear at him. So that's where I said, I, I'm all, I go to these places. I love going as a Steeler fan. I think the camaraderie is phenomenal, and I just, Philadelphia is the only, it's Cleveland to some extent, and they're telling me they're only mean to, to Steeler fans. I'll give them another shot. I'll go next year to another Brown game. I'll see if they've become nicer. We need, and look, the Steelers need the Browns this weekend to beat the Ravens. So, I, you know, this is the one game they, I'm going to be a Brown fan this weekend. Absolutely. It's funny how that did work out. And there's a bunch of memes today, you know, all over social media about the Browns like salivating at the opportunity to to actually make a difference in the division for once, even if they're not heading to the playoffs. Before we talk about this game, you're, you know, you're talking about bad fans. Have you been to Ralph Wilson in Buffalo? Because uh, I think that fan base could go either way. I know it's a party fan base, but I think they might be a little crazy, too. 
Um, they weren't, I was there. I was not as a Steelers fan. I went to, I think they played uh, Houston that game. So I was, I was at Buffalo. And I thought, that, well, first of all, they are one of the few fan bases that actually have the parking lots that they can tailgate. So it's very much like a college atmosphere. But they're great. I mean, they're, they're Buffalo fans. I mean, they've been long-suffering. The team's been terrible for so long. It's freezing cold. And they're not yelling at everybody like Eagle fans. I mean, they're, they're fun and nice. And, and, and it's a, it was a great atmosphere, too, at that stadium. I thought that was uh, you know, it's amazing. Some of these fan bases that lose year after year, but still come out, and uh, it's it's, a, it's certainly a tradition from uh, family members. And uh, but no, Buffalo was a great place to see a game. Smashing folding tables is a big tradition <laughs> in Buffalo. Not much else to do. Seven seventeen. It's Ira on Sports ninety five nine, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here with you as well. So Ira's in New Orleans right now. He checked out yesterday's game, Saints versus Steelers. And as we talked about earlier, I this may have been the nail in the Steelers' season's coffin. And um, why don't you tell us about it? Well, the reason it was was that going into the game, there were a lot of things that the Steelers were hoping could happen that, that, that were bad for the quote, bad for the Steelers. One was the Ravens had to lose to the Chargers. Well, the Ravens beat the Chargers, so that wasn't good. Then the Colts won, and then also Tennessee beat Washington on Saturday. So by fact that all those teams won, that means they can't get the wild card. The Colts play Tennessee, so the winner of that game is going to get the wild card. If they win, actually, Houston would get it, how it switches. But the fact is is that though there's no way for the Steelers. The Steelers' wild card was eliminated, and then the Ravens then took the lead in the division. So this is the division. The Steelers had a three-and-a-half game lead, like, six games ago over the Ravens, and now they're, they're now looking out. Now, they're have to hope that Baltimore lose. The only way they still get in is they beat the Bengals and Baltimore uh, loses to the Browns. And for a team like the Steelers that would control their destiny the entire year, that was favored to go to the Super Bowl, one of the top favorites, uh, it certainly was terrible. But they knew what was going in. It's like, as people Steelers fans, like, oh, this is terrible what happened. I'm like, well, you knew that you were going to have to play at New Orleans. You knew New Orleans was a really good team. And you knew you had to play the Patriots before you played the Saints. Like, the schedule was made up. It wasn't <laughs> out of nowhere. And it's like, if you know that you have to pay, like you have money that's due or build it to be paid, well, maybe you want to save some money up. So don't lose to Oakland. Don't lose to Denver. Yeah. Then you can lose these other games. So it's like when the Steelers were like, uh, you know, spending money. And then when it came time to pay the bill for the rent, they had no money left. And, and so that they, they, they really had no margin there and had to play a, a great game, but still lost the game. And now we're, uh, have a, they, the nail's not in the coffin, but it's, it's right. It's close. Do you want to talk about the game itself? I mean, Antonio Brown, the more you watch this guy, he is just the. The, maybe the best receiver I've ever seen. And I, I like the fact, not that I like it, but the fact that he's his height, and it's not like he's a Julio Jones or Randy Moss that's 6'4 and undefendable. He's just more elusive and faster and smarter than everyone on the field, I. Well, I think what happened was, I think the Steelers said, if we're going to go down, we are going down with our superstars. And that was a decision. Yes. I think they liked the matchups. Um, the Saints had played great defense this year. But Eli Apple was one of their corners. And Eli Apple was anyone, you're a Giants fan, you're very happy Eli Apple was in a Giants corner. Number 10 right overall pick. Good and, job, Reese. Yeah, so, so Ben had 46 targets for the game. 46. 34 were to Juju and to Antonio Brown. And Juju was 11 catches for 115 yards, and Brown had 14 catches for 185 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, just an amazing. And Ben threw 380 yards, three touchdowns, uh, just tremendous. Now, Saints themselves, 
they went to their stars. I mean, Kamara and Michael Thomas had 11 catches for, seven, uh, for 109 yards. So it was, it was a great – I mean, it's like one of these games where you watch and, like, you know, like superstar after superstar. Thomas is one of the best wide receivers. Antonio Brown's one of the best wide receivers. Anybody who's playing in fantasy was watching this game because somebody in the Super Bowl had Breeze, somebody had Ben, yes. somebody, it was all the, the fantasy players. Just a, just a great, uh, exciting game. I mean, the Saints started the game early in terms of, uh, uh, you know, they, it was in a weird play. Um, it, they pulled Breeze out, and Hill, the backup quarterback, tried to throw a 50-yard pass that the Steelers intercepted. And you're like, why in the world would you have <laughs> – it's one thing to have your backup quarterback do a run play or throw a pass, but why are you throwing 50 yards He's the third field, string. <laughs> uh, intercepted by Sean Davis. You know what? I will give the Steelers credit. It's not easy to hold New Orleans down. And obviously they scored 31 points, but they seem to keep Drew Brees in check pretty well. I mean, they were beating you guys on the ground – and Drew Brees didn't have one of his huge Drew Brees type performances. He didn't, but they, the weird thing about it is they had the drives when they needed it. And I think the Steelers' defense really, in the first half, though, um, they, they, when they kicked. So the Steelers went down, and, the, and the, the, the Saints made an amazing tackle in that first. That tackle, there was, um, uh, Williams made a tackle on uh, Antonio Brown on a third and two, and the Steelers were stopped, and they had to go for a field goal. And it was amazing. Boswell made two field goals in the game, and he's been <laughs> terrible all year. Um, I was but, nervous uh, for but, you when he was lining up the kick guy. On, yeah, but what, ha- what helped Breeze out most, not so much the Steelers defense, was now Steelers fans think the, the, the calls were terrible. Now, the one call was terrible. On fourth and one, on the Steelers 37, Breeze threw it down the end zone to Kamara, who was standing there, and they called Joe Hayden for a push on Kamara, which – I don't even see the hands on him. Like, I don't even think, I mean, he might have blew on the back of his neck. It was a I don't bad know if he touched him. And, uh, and they called a pass interference, which is, means the ball goes to the one-yard line. And that was, that was terrible. So they drove down there. And then the Saints went back down again, 14-6. I'm telling you, I, if I, watching Kamara live, I don't understand why they just run every pass, a screen pass to him. He is so fast. He is so strong. He's going to blow by everyone for 80 yards once out of, like, four or five times. He is untackable. I mean, that's not a word, but he can't. <laughs> <laughs> when he has a head of steam up, he's so fast, uh, and that's why they, 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 they went up 14-6. And the Steelers then, it was weird, at the end of the first half, they drove 97 yards. Um, they got some pass interferences on Eli Apple, <laughs> so, and they got down to the one and scored. But the worst thing is they let the Saints go back down again on another screen, best Kamara, uh, at halftime and go up 17-14 on a field goal with 40 seconds to go. It, it was uh, it was an interesting game to say the least. I mean, both that game and the Kansas City game. You know, you really capped off a great weekend with those two games, like being the final games um, that I was going to watch of Week 16. So they definitely uh, they definitely came through on that. Um, any more remarks on Saint Steelers, or do you want to move on to the Ravens who upset the Chargers? I wasn't seeing that coming. Well, I just I want to yeah, just want to finish the sec. So it was tw- it was it was the Saints go down. So 17, 17 14. <clears throat> the Ravens go down, make it 24-14. But the Steelers then, they drove down. I mean, it was, that's when Antonio Browns turned sure, into yeah. what he usually is. And the Steelers went down, scored, scored twice, uh, make it 28-24. Then the Steelers' defense turned it up. The Saints go three and out. And then the Steelers were like, okay, Steelers up 28-24. They're driving down again. And that's when Stephen Ridley, on the third, Saints' 34-yard line on the third down, fumbles the ball. I'm like, oh, I mean, you can't afford to have a fumble like that. But the Saints go down there, Steelers hold them for a field goal and block the field goal. So it's like, oh, this is, you know, tremendous again. And then the Steelers come down, it's 28-24, Steelers are leading. Uh, It's fourth and five on their own 42, four minutes to go in the game, and they fake punt it. 
and they was a fourth and four, and they got fourth and five, and they got four yards. Uh, Steelers. I don't have a problem with the call I, because it. I they at least they gave Ben chance. I mean, the thinking was that Breeze was going to go down and score. But at least the Steelers did get the ball after the Saints went down and scored for the touchdown. The Steelers had a chance to go down and, and, and score a touchdown. They had a two minutes to go, a minute, a minute 25, first and 10 on the 25. And uh, they drove down to the, uh, to the 35-yard line where Juju then fumbles the ball and, caught, and the Steelers' season is over. I mean, he's on the floor crying and said it cost him the game because he fumbled it. But uh, uh, I, I don't, uh, there's been a lot of talk about whether that was he should have gone, Tomlin should have gone. I don't. I don't criticize Tomlin for that. It was a, it was a, they felt like they would, the Saints were relaxed uh, to get the first down. And it was 28-24. They go down and score a touchdown there, 35-24. They technically win the game. So I thought it was a good move. Overall, of course, the Steelers, I'm not pleased with how Tomlin coached this year, but that, I'm not criticizing on that call. He was not getting too much flack today. And granted, it's the Saints. Maybe that's why. I mean, if it was 31-28 versus uh, San Fran, you know what I mean, or the Jets, that might be a little different story. But this is a tough game. You're not supposed to win this game in New Orleans. And they played hard. So... Go ahead. It was, and you know what's weird about the game is it was so even. First downs, 26-24 Steelers. Yards, 429-370. Third down conversion, 6-for-13, 6-for-12. Each team had 11 drives. The passing yards, 364 for the Steelers, 313 for the Saints. Rushing yards, 66-57. Time of possession, 30-30. I mean, it was one of those. I mean, the Steelers, I think, were the only three teams in the Super Bowl era have played every one of their road games within seven points. And this is, <laughs> so they clearly, and they haven't won them. <laughs> so uh, that's what happened when the Steelers, I mean, for a team like the Steelers, though, again, this is not what cost the Steelers the season. Losing to Oakland, losing to Denver, tying to Cleveland, that's what cost the Steelers the season, not losing to at New Orleans in a game like this, where New Orleans then clinched home field advantage for the rest of the playoffs. No, you're absolutely right. Okay, let's slide on. They were the number one ranked defense in the league going into this week, and Baltimore did not disappoint. I thought that, uh, I picked the Chargers to beat the Chiefs two weeks ago. I saw that coming. I saw this one coming too, and I don't know why, but I just had a feeling that there, you know, was going to be a little bit of a hangover for Philip Rivers and the Chargers. They gave them fits, Ira. The, the Baltimore defense is everything they're billed out to be. Philip Rivers and that offense just didn't look good, and they finally had Melvin Gordon back, and basically they 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 shut him down. Well. In the first half, I mean, you look at the score at the first half. I mean, the first half, it should have been much worse. I mean, the, the Ravens had 216 yards, the Chargers 72. Um, 10, and the Chargers' only touchdown was when the Ravens fumbled the ball on, like, the 10-yard line, and the Chargers went in and scored there. Yeah. Otherwise, exactly, they got a gift touchdown. <laughs> yeah, and, and the method, and, and, and Lamar Jackson, it's just uh, 204 yards passing. Uh, he rushed for another. He, he carried the ball 13 times for 39 yards. Their rookie from Rutgers, Gus Edwards, undrafted, 14 for 92. I mean, think what the Ravens are doing with this. Their quarterback and running back are, bo- are both rookies. <laughs> both rookies. <laughs> and they're on this tremendous run, and they're going to win the division. Uh, and then with, at 16-10, the Ravens have five minutes to go. Um, uh, oh, there, you know, they, the Ravens, though, they weren't scoring at all in the fourth quarter. They had like three drives with three and out. 
spot with three minutes to go. The, it was a weird play. The, the Chargers were driving, going to take the touchdown lead. And just like Juju, their running back, their wide receiver fumbled the ball, and the Ravens went picked it up and ran in for a touchdown. It was a questionable call. I think they reviewed it for like five minutes. But uh, that, was, that was literally the end of the game. And Rivers, who's looked great, you know, people are saying he's a, an MVP candidate. I had him as MVP the going Ravens in. made him look terrible. I had him as the MVP going in, in my opinion. Doing more with less. You know, Mahomes, he's great. He's got weapons. Um, Drew Brees is Drew Brees. He would have been my second choice going into this week. But, I mean, how could you? Philip Rivers is having his best year ever in what, Ira, his uh, 14th season? <laughs> it's, it's just incredible. Uh, he was my pick to win. But now the Ravens are in the driver's seat. And this is something, you know, you'd mentioned earlier that with, that, with the exception of the Titans, if they make it, there's really no team that can't win this. How do you feel about the Ravens? I think they could shock the world and go on a run in the playoffs. Well, look, they went into Kansas. They went to they they play Kansas City and barely lose that game, and they should have really won that game. It was it was another last you know crazy ending of a game, overtime ending. Uh, they beat the Chargers in San Diego, which is still difficult to go down and do. Of course, the Ravens' defense is tremendous. The whole AFC, besides the Tennessee, and I, after seeing how Tennessee, I mean, the problem we look at Tennessee is Mariota and the quarterback, but boy, their defense and they're opportunistic. I wouldn't say and look how they when they beat and of course they destroyed New England. So to say that New England yep. Tennessee has no shot, I, I mean, all these teams in the AFC have a chance. Uh, there's not, there's, I really have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Let's keep moving. It's Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel 729. I'm Mike Balsamo. You know, Ira, it's one of these nights where we're coming into the holidays and everyone's going to be sitting around watching that Sunday night game. And boy, did it live up to the hype. It, it, granted, you know, Seattle, uh, Russell Wilson proved that he is as good a quarterback that you can find in this league. Doug Baldwin had a reemergence. He reminded me of Antonio Brown yesterday. The, the plays he was making, but that was a heck of a game to end, uh, to end Sunday football, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, was it just tremendous. Well, I had a lot riding on this game because I, I'm in fantasy with the Steelers. So I had Juju, Brown, and Ben who put up these ridiculous numbers. And then I had Damian Williams for the Chiefs as a running back. Yeah. And the, play, the person I was going against for the overall points lead had Mahomes and Hill. So even though I had this huge lead, I've watched Mahomes and Hill have these monster games. And when you have, it's called stacking in fantasy. So when stacking means you have the quarterback and you have the wide receiver. So when Mahomes throws a touchdown to Hill, you don't just get six points, you get 12 points because it's a quarterback and you get all the yardage and everything. So when you ever... When you get that right in football, when you have the quarterback like had Ben and Antonio Brown or Ben and Schuster, then at every touchdown is like enormous. And uh, so you're so even if they even if you have a huge lead, Mahomes and Hill, everyone who knows anything about fantasy, Mahomes has had a year that no one ever saw. I, I guarantee you, I, I saw something that like forty percent of the teams in Super Bowl had Mahomes as a quarterback because they drafted him so late. Nobody expected this ridiculous year that he had. Um, but you saw how on the on, from a pure perspective how great each quarterback was, how they were able to use their feet not to run to gain, but also to gain advantage in the pack uh, pocket to convert on third downs. Uh, Mahomes was tremendous, absolutely tremendous. But uh, they each threw for three, 200, they had almost the same uh, stats, 273 yards for three touchdowns. 
uh, and they both converted on third downs. It was just that it, Wilson was just a little bit better, uh, and it's great at the end, and I think the Chiefs' defense really was worse. I think Seattle's defense came to play. They, they were better. Chiefs' defense is terrible. They can't stop anyone, and that's going to be Mahomes is, I think, going to put pressure on Mahomes to keep scoring touchdowns, and eventually he's going to start making mistakes because he's trying to force it uh, against them. But uh, it was just it was, it was one of those amazing Sunday night games uh, that, that, was, that will, people remember for a long time. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That defense, that's the chink in their armor. And that's not a good chink in your armor to have. Not being able to play defense, um, I would take the Chargers against them again. If they meet the Chargers in the in the AFC Championship game or wherever it is, they play defense, and Kansas City doesn't. So I'm, I'm going to take them. And, and you're right, Seattle now very quietly is coming on. And this is a team that if you're in the NFC, you should be a little bit scared to be facing them, especially if they happen to get a home game, which it's not, you know, in the later rounds they won't. But, you know, early on, you have to play Seattle at Century Link. That's, that's not fun for anybody. Um, Cowboys Bucks, I. This game is way too close if I'm a Cowboy fan. And it, they, it's not that they looked bad, but they didn't look like a Super Bowl caliber team. And here they are clinching the NFC East. Well, they clinched the NBC. They also not like they, they're now locked in the fourth seed. So the Cowboys actually can rest their starters next weekend. They can't do any worse than what they're at. So that's what they are. So it's actually a semi-good position to be in, a, but they, don't, they can rest their, their players. The Bucks came out and played. I mean, if you look at the stats of the game, uh, they dominated. I mean, they had 320 yards passing to 152 for uh, the Cowboys. On first downs, it was 27 to 16. So Cowboys won the game 27-20, but gave up 27 first downs. Uh, but they forced uh, the one thing is the Cowboys are opportunistic. The Winston turned the ball over twice on fumbles, uh, and uh, but it was. But I looked at the highlights of the game and watched it. It was it was certainly not an impressive performance. But the Cowboys haven't been. I mean, the Cowboys for the Cowboys they just wanted to get to the playoffs. Get to the playoffs. Let's see what happens. Uh, their defense is really coming on, uh, and uh, um, probably, you know, so they'll get a, they'll get a first round game. But again, just like in the AFC. Uh, anything can happen, but I, I, I think the, people think that it's like the, the Saints. This is the Saints to lose. The Saints are not perfect. Their defense does have its problems. They have Eli Apple as their quarterback. So even though it's going to be hard to win in New Orleans, I wouldn't be shocked if they were to lose. Every team in the NFC, again, with the, like the AFC situation, anybody in the NFC, the Eagles at the sixth seed could go in and still go to the Super Bowl again. I was literally thinking that yesterday, watching Nick Foles just play – like Nick Foles of last year on his playoff run, this team could beat any team in the NFC, just like any other team in the NFC could. It's so wide open, and how the Rams have taken a fall from grace, it, it, you really just don't know what's going to happen, and this is why I love this so much. Um, what we do know is going to happen in the NFC is the um, Vikings and Lions both not going to make the playoffs here. We've been talking about it on this show. Matt Patricia, I mean, this was another ugly division loss. This is bad. You giving this guy another it's shot next loss, year? But, yeah, it's it's a bad loss. But the Vikings, it, the Vikings can make the playoffs. If the Vikings beat the Bears next week, they're in over the over the uh, over the Eagles. So it oh, was I'm like sorry. it's a situation where they can make it. But the Lions definitely are not. And of all the you know these coaching moves, you're going to see. I mean, Matt Patricia might get fired this year. I know this is his first year coach, but it has not been a good year for them. There's high expectations. Uh, they were leading nine nothing in the first half. I was watching that game when I was flying to the game, so it's one of those games I'm watching. And uh, uh, and uh, they were up nine nothing. It should have been more. And then they just, uh, but then the, the the Vikings just came on tremendously and scored 27 points, and uh, and were able to, to not even make the game even close. 
yeah, this one, that's what I'm saying. Matt Patricia just is deer in the headlights to me a lot, a lot of the time. And I'm not going to be completely shocked if they make the switch. It's hard to make a switch after one year. And it doesn't look good for your GM for making a bad hire, but I'm not going to be shocked. I do think, you know, let's talk about the Colts and the Giants next. I do think Pat Shermer is going to get another year. Um, and I think he should as a Giants fan. I don't think this has been his fault. Um, you know, there's been some questionable calls, but I don't think this is completely on him. However, I will admit, Ira, I'm an awful fan, and I was rooting for Indy to win at the end. It, it, it just let, let's keep this five-win thing going and get a top six pick. <laughs> and I know I'm an awful person for that, but either way, Indy's going to be a team to be, you know, a force to be reckoned with if they do slide into that playoff spot in the AFC. Um, what were your takeaways from this game? I know you're not going to agree with I think I think Eli Manning looked tremendous. He looks good. He, no, I, I agree was, with you. He was just, he threw it to Sterling Shepard uh, just all over the field. He was 25 for 33, 309 yards, a touchdown, an interception. Uh, but to start the game, I mean, they, got, they jumped out to that 14 nothing lead, and he's moving the team down, and you're watching him, and you're like, you want to replace that quarterback? I mean, he was throwing darts to Shepard. I mean, great passes. And remember, the Colts defense was the team that shut out the Cowboys. The Colts defense yeah, was playing at the level that the Ravens were at, and, and, and Manning was just cutting them up left and right. So I thought they played. I mean, it was a great game. The Colts came down with three minutes to go. Andrew Luck had a great drive, and they scored to win. And, and people liked the Colts. The Colts needed to win that game, to, otherwise so they'd be eliminated in the playoffs. And what I think people like about the Colts is that you have this great quarterback in Luck. The running game with Mack is going well. And you have this very good defense that didn't play, play well last yesterday, but has played well in the last part of the season. Uh, so it was, a, it was a great win for Indianapolis, uh, but uh, I, I, from the Eli Manning debate that everyone wants to talk about, he looked good that last game. He didn't look like a quarterback that should retire. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. This, there are so few of this team's issues that can be blamed on Eli Manning. There might be, you know, he, he's not the greatest quarterback in the league, but he's not going to go out and lose games for you. Um, so yeah, he takes a lot of flack. This offensive line is finally starting to come together. I think what goes, you know, to be more important or more of a takeaway from this game is the Colts drafting. I mean, they had a really rough go for a while. Two, they hit on two draft picks. They got Quentin Nelson, who's a Pro Bowler, and they got the kid Darius Leonard, who's going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year in one draft. And look at this team went from three wins to potentially a playoff team with two guys. It, it, granted, Andrew Luck is back, but it, the, the change in that team and just like the, the way they approach things, really impressive for, for Indianapolis. And this is one of those dark horse teams that I'm rooting for. Ira, you know a dark horse team that I always root for and it never seems to work out is the Miami Dolphins. I don't know. <laughs> the Dolphins fan base is very tough to pick up on. And you spend a lot of time in South Florida, so you know that. I think there was a lot going into this game where Ryan Tannehill, this is, this is going to be our guy. Like, all right, Ryan Tannehill, he's been playing pretty darn good. Yesterday, he played terrible against Jacksonville. And now they're calling for Ryan, uh, Ryan Tannehill to be off the team. I don't know which way this, this whole scenario is going to go, but this, this team baffles me. This entire game baffled me, and Miami's just reeling after this one, I... I saw a statistic. I can't believe it. The Dolphins have not made the playoffs 15 out of 17 years. 
They've been 500 or worse nine of the last 10 years. I mean, there's a, st- there's a trend there. I mean, it's not just a few bad years. I mean, you think they haven't been like zero wins, it seems like, but wow. I mean, they've been bad for a while. Um, and when you look at the other teams and you're seeing where the quarterback play is and what the quarterback needs, and when you're getting, when Blake Bortles comes off the bench at 7-7, leads the team down, take the lead 10-7, and Tannehill comes in to respond and throws a pick six, uh, it's just inconsistency. Ryan Tannehill seems to have some very good games this year where he's played well and looked good. But in general, I, he just has looked terrible in some games. Uh, and it's just, it, this is a bad loss. I mean, that, the, the Dolphins had a, a, a glimmer of hope to make the playoffs, but the Jaguars have been playing terrible all year. And for the Jaguars, who's, who looked like they had quit on the season to win 17-7, it's just a bad, bad loss for the Dolphins and, and one that... It's, it's just a shame. It's just not, they did not play well at all. No, exactly. It, it, it's really, it's a staple loss. You know, they talk about, you know, um, you know, staple wins in your season. This is staple loss. This looks really bad if, if you're in the Dolphins front office or, or even a player on the team. Um, you know, we had Alex Reimer on last week from Kirk and Callahan, WEEI in Boston. We were talking about the Patriots. And you know what? The Patriots won this game. I wasn't convinced that they're a good team, though. And they might be the most vulnerable of of these AFC teams that are already in. I mean, Brady just didn't play. And granted, his his team's decimated. Gronkowski is a shell of his former self, as as uh, Alex Reimer agreed with us last week. But this game, it, it could have, it should have been out of hand. Buffalo's not a good team, Ira. The, the Patriots' defense played good, but that offense is not what's going to get them to a Super Bowl. Well, I think the, the Patriots have trouble with the Bills when they played in Buffalo earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, Brady did not look good. He threw 126 yards, two interceptions. Um, but it was, it's the it's type of thing where I think, look, the, the Bills didn't win. The Patriots now, I think Houston losing was one of the best things that ever happened because now all the Patriots have to do is beat the Jets, and now they have that number two seed. Now Brady has another extra week after next week to rest up. Mm-hmm. Now they only have to play two games to get to the Super Bowl, and one of those games is going to be in Gillette, and then maybe Kansas City does lose. I mean, Kansas City can lose. They're not this. Yep. They're not, uh, maybe Patriots will get lucky in and, and have two home games to get to the Super Bowl. So the point is, is that they, uh, I think the, what benefited the most was Houston losing and then letting, uh, letting New England get that because – I don't think any team has a home field advantage like New England. I think it's very hard. I've been there for the playoffs. It's just a misty. It's cold. It's the wind is swirling a million different directions. The fans are so loud. It's just a weird stadium. Uh, it is it is the best home field playoff advantage. Better than the Saints. People think the Saints have. I think it's better than anything. I think that it's going to be very difficult for a team to go into Foxborough and win uh, in January when it's 20 degrees out and it's snowing and, uh, and, and, and Belichick will have, I don't know, computers working in the background, <laughs> analyzing all plays, spy gate, this gate, anything. But I, I just think that the Patriots, I think it was very important that the Patriots, they, at least they won. I mean, they won that game 24-12. Uh, last game before we move into some uh, some other stuff here in football, you talked about it earlier. The Texans losing was huge, and I'm sure that there's people in Philly right now punching horses and getting Nick Foles tattoos um, <coughs> that this guy might be back. I started him in fantasy, by the way, so I was pretty happy about that. But Nick Foles here leading this. Philly looked pretty good yesterday against a good Houston team. I mean, Nick Foles, I mean, you talk about the Roddy Dangerfield, no respect. I mean, it's so true. Nick Foles comes in, he wins 
the Super Bowl last year. Super Bowl winning quarterback. And not just like hand the ball off, Trent Dilfer style, like man, game manager. He outdueled, you know, 100 to 100 to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. He beat Minnesota uh, in, in an amazing game. At that was a great game. Passing yeah. phenomenally. He comes in and now he threw for a franchise record. Franchise. Eagle franchise. Ron Jaworski, Randall Cunningham, Don McNabb. He threw for more yards than anyone has ever thrown for the Eagles. It's just it's tremendous. 471 yards. He played great. It was a tremendous win for him. Uh, I, you know, if you're a team, some of these teams, when they're looking for quarterbacks, i got to think he's going to find a place. He's a free agent after the year's over. I can't imagine that you're not going to – I mean, you, you're the Dolphins. You don't think Nick Foles – and look how, what kind of leader he is. Look how he inspires this team. It's I know they like and Wentz, and, and they really can't back away from, uh, from Wentz. But look, Wentz gets hurt. Wentz gets injured. But I just get back to what we said last week about Foles. Aguilar, five catches, 116 yards. Ertz, 12 catches, 110. Jeffries, 82 yards. Sproul, 76. He's able to work. He's not fixated on one wide receiver. He's able to pass it wrong. On that offense that Doug Peterson has, he's got to be able to find different receivers. And I think that Wentz, anybody who watched the Eagles, Eagles fans watch it every week, he was going to Ertz every single play. And it looked like, you know, and Foles is able to move the ball around other receivers. And I think that was the key for him. You're absolutely right. And it was brought me to my next question. What is going to happen this offseason? You've got Teddy Bridgewater, who is going to be looking for a starting job. Nick Foles, he damn well should be looking for a starting job. He's obviously capable, better than some of these teams. I could even say guys like Nick Mullins, who's Jimmy Garoppolo's backup. The guy's having a pretty good year as an undrafted player. What's going to happen with this influx of mediocre to pretty decent quarterbacks this offseason, Ira, because I have no idea how this is going to shake out. But I know that there's people in the New York Giants camp saying, well, we need Teddy Bridgewater. So I don't know what's going to happen. What do you think? Um, well, definitely it's going to be. I mean, the point is that we're going to talk about the rookie quarterbacks. And I think Allen in Buffalo has cemented himself. They like him. He's He's played. I like well. him too. He's a winner. Uh, he runs. He pass. I mean, I think people are like he had the type of good year. Sam Darnell, the Jets. People think are going to be a superstar. Mayfield is is tremendous. I mean, Mayfield's been absolutely amazing. The only quarterback, Lamar Jackson, in Baltimore. He's going to be a quarterback next year. They'll figure out some way. He'll pass better, whatever. But they're winning. They like him. The only quarterback, Josh Rosen, in Arizona, really had a bad year. The team had a bad year. But you hear people in Arizona, it's like, look, everything went wrong for them. They're going to change a coach. He's going to be like a Jared Goff situation. They got to bring the right coach in for him. I mean, they're still they they're not they're still happy with Rosen. So there are some positions like again, we're going to pick the book back at uh, Jacksonville and Miami and Florida and Tampa Bay. These are three three jobs that are probably some of these guys are going to come down to and compete for those jobs. So if you're if you're if you're a quarterback, if you're uh, uh, if you're Ryan Tannehill, you're nervous because I gotta think that the Dolphins are going to bring in one of these quarterbacks to compete for him for the job. No, I absolutely agree with you. You think Jameis Winston is uh, out on his butt? I mean, you, you mentioned Tampa. Well, I think that Winston's problem is that he's going to want a big contract, and I don't know if Tampa Bay is going to pay it. I don't know if anyone's going to pay for it. So the point is, do they pay him the money? It's, it, it's one of those, it's a contract issue with Winston, uh, not so much. If Winston was on still a rookie contract, they probably would bring him back another year. He played halfway decent this year. The question is, he, they were nervous about it. He played okay, but is okay worth $20-some million a year? I don't, know if, I don't know if that is okay enough. And uh, it's going to be a tough call. Tampa Bay has a really hard decision. And that's the same situation the Cowboys are kind of going to be in with uh, Dak Prescott. I do agree with you on Josh Rosen. I, I, I don't have a sample set on this guy. That team's bad. 
<laughs> they're just not a good team. It's so hard to tell when you have nothing around you. That's what makes um, Josh Allen that much more impressive, that he looks like he knows what he's doing, and that team has less skill <laughs> than Arizona. All right, Ira, fill us in uh, playoff, playoff positioning. How's this going to work out? Well, the Chiefs have the one seed, and if they lose to the Raiders, then <laughs> that'll be one of the biggest upsets of all time. They'll probably be like 16 to 18 point favorites over the Raiders. Uh, and then the Pats, they play the Jets. They'll be the two seed, so they'll get by, both get buys. Texans play Jacksonville. Now, it, Texans should win that game. If they lose, they could actually be the sixth seed, but they probably will win. They'll be the third seed. Ravens, the thing with the Ravens, the Ravens, if the Ravens lose, they're out of the playoffs. If the Ravens win, they're going to be the fourth seed. The Steelers, uh, the Steelers, the Steelers. Well, actually, the Ravens could. If the Steelers lose, the Ravens would still get that fourth seed. So they could lose, and if the Steelers lose, uh, the Chargers then with the Chargers had a great year, but still they're going to be the fifth seed and play a wild card game. They'll be on the road, and the winner, the Colts and Titans, get the the sixth game. So the Chargers are at Denver, um, but they probably are locked in. The only way the Chargers can improve their position is if the uh, if the Chiefs lose to the Raiders which I, I can't see happening. And the NFC, Saints are locked in at one. Cowboys are locked in at four. The Rams play San Francisco. They'll probably easily win that. They'll be two. Bears are at Minnesota. Now, it's weird where the Bears could go, but the Bears should win that game. They'll be three. Uh, if they lose, they're locked into not being worse than three, but they could if they lose in the Rams. If they win and the Rams lose, they could move up. But uh, uh, the Cowboys are four. Seahawks will be five, and either the Vikings or the Eagles will be six. So, I mean, when you look at these teams, Saints, Rams, Bears, Cowboys, Seahawks, Vikings, or Eagles, any one of them could win the Super Bowl, not just make the Super Bowl. I mean, we're not talking about just making. These teams all could win the Super Bowl. So that's what makes this year's been great, and the playoffs are going to be be better. I agree with you wholeheartedly. All right, before we wrap it up tonight, it's the Monday night football game that nobody cares about. Denver taking on Oakland. Denver is giving two and a half points. What do you like here, I? Well, the people who do care about it are it's it's the fantasy football Super Bowl. It's every most fantasy football seasons end this week because the last week yeah. they don't play because the teams are resting their players and stuff. So this is really the end of fantasy football. It's a weird game is that there's not a lot of players on either team that people have. So there's there's always those weird players that someone's going to have. If you hear that one of the players from Oakland or Denver had a crazy game, you're going to see a lot of people very upset tomorrow because it's it'll be if the shot Hamilton for uh, Denver. Denver scores 10 yeah. catches for 200 yards. You'll think it's a crazy. But what's interesting about this game, it's just the last, probably the last game in Oakland. The team doesn't want, the, the city doesn't want Oakland to come back next year to play there. They're going to go and be to Vegas the following year. Um, it's going to be very weird. The rumors where Oakland's going to go are crazy. I mean, now this week, the major rumor is they're going to play in England all their games at home. So they're anywhere from San Diego to AT&T <laughs> Park, where the baseball team plays, or San Francisco, or England, or, or anywhere. I mean, any, they're, a team, they're a team without a home. But it's so fun. When you go to the stores, when you go up into San Francisco, wherever, they don't even have Oakland Raiders anymore. They're just selling merchandise. Raiders. I mean, they are. I think when they move to Vegas, they're just going to still be Raiders. No, no Vegas Raiders. They'll just be Raiders. Uh, so they are definitely a team without a home. But it'll be the last game. And it's interesting. Mal High, I think Denver, I saw something that Denver, when Oakland played Denver on Monday night years ago, that was the last game at Denver also. So these are, and these two teams have played most frequently on any other two teams on Monday night. I think it's their 18th time playing a Monday night football against each other, but in a totally meaningless game. It's funny how that uh, shook out. And, and, and you know, I hadn't heard that oh, that uh, England rumor, but I would like that for some reason. I think that'd be kind of cool. Not that I would like doing the traveling if I was a player. Uh, it's Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Happy uh, Christmas Eve to you. It's 7.50. I'm Mike Balsamo. 
college football, Ira, and I think you, you know, being you, are probably going to dabble in these games a little bit. Let's talk about Alabama versus Oklahoma, which I believe is next Saturday. Next Saturday, I'll be there at the Orange Bowl. I can't wait for that game. Um, I, I'm telling you, I've looked at games in my life. I, I, if Oklahoma wins that game, I'll be in total shock. I think it'll be the biggest upset. It's Buster Doug. I think Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson was less of an upset within Oklahoma beating Alabama. I cannot see how Oklahoma – if I think if Alabama punts the ball, I'd be shocked. I mean, Oklahoma has played <laughs> in a league where it's like they've been playing two-hand touch flag football for, 12 ga- for 13 games. Now they actually have to play real football. I mean, this is a team. We'll give you four stats. 46, 47, 40, 56. Those are points that Oklahoma has given up to Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and West Virginia. Two of those four teams fired their coaches. 46, 47, 40, and 56. Alabama, I mean, should score 100. I mean, I'm not saying they're <laughs> not going to score, but, they're gonna, but there's just, I can't see. Oklahoma does not have the defense that wants to tackle. They don't have the, the attitude to tackle. And Alabama's offensive line is tremendous. And then Alabama's defense, everyone's like, Kyler Murray, well, they'll just they'll be a track meet. Alabama, you see the teams, how Alabama plays defense. They are, these are the top five recruits. These are, going to be, these are NFL football players that are playing. And Kyler Murray is going to be playing baseball next year, and this is game is going to be his last college football game because he's not going to have a good game. Uh, he'll, make, he'll make maybe one impressive run, but, and also I think there's a revenge factor. I mean, Tua did not win the Heisman. Kyler Murray of Oklahoma did win the Heisman. I think Alabama wants to show. I think the defense is going to... I, just, I mean, I just do not see this game as close at all. I mean, there's going to be like 60 to 14. Some crazy number. I just don't see Oklahoma scoring on Alabama, and I see Alabama scoring every single time they touch the ball. I do not think that Oklahoma can stay in this game. 14.5 points is the spread right now, so you're saying throw the house on it, I. I would say throw the house, the pool, the car, everything, <laughs> dog, everything you have. I just can't, I just can't say, I know it's 14 and a half, it's a large one. I just don't see Oklahoma, this game is not close. The only reason it wouldn't be close, the only reason why is that Alabama at some point is not going to want to blow, because they have to play in 10 days for the national championship, they'll probably pull their starters, but even their secondary, like, Alabama's fourth team can tackle much better than Oklahoma's first team. Yeah. I've watched Oklahoma play every game, they don't tackle they don't tackle the tackling is important it's part of football if you don't want to tackle players and it's just, they don't tackle i mean i've seen plays where it's just been simple runs up the middle and the defensive linemen just stand there and i just have never their linebacker play is terrible their secondary play is worse than their linebacker play nobody comes up to make a tackle on these players i just think i just don't even i can't see this game being close if i'm wrong i'm wrong and everybody can say i was totally wrong on this but i do not see this game being close i agree with you too and also the fact that oklahoma is actually going to play a defense like you said you know they're they're used to rolling into these games where neither team plays defense and now they're going to get alabama um so like you said good luck 14 20 points maybe but i see alabama getting t- pushing 50 if not more um i think clemson notre dame will be a little bit closer what are you thinking about this one i it, look there it's a 10 and a half point favorite i actually like notre dame in the points in this game we're like i do think this game i clemson should win this game but clemson has struggled in some first halves they get off the slow starts every now and then, uh, and uh, the Syracuse game. I I I I expect uh, I I expect Clemson to win, but I do like Notre Dame has played well. I mean, Ian Book and Dexter Williams since they've been emerged in that lineup, they've moved, I they have their offense is better. Notre Dame's defense is is much improved. Um, Clemson's explosive. But their defense has been inconsistent. And if this is a Clemson defense that was dominating and has all those, has you know, four NFL first-round picks on the defensive line, if that defense comes in, 
then they'll win the game. And Clemson's used to this. I mean, they've been in this situation year after year after year. So you've got to think their team is ready for it. I mean, Clemson should win this game. Uh, but if I would not, I'm not, don't bet, I would not bet the house on Clemson. And I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame pulled off the upset in this game uh, and set up a Notre Dame Alabama rematch. But uh, that, that'll be a, that's the first game. That's the 4 o'clock game. And then the Alabama-Oklahoma game is the 8 o'clock game. It's, it's very weird that both you know, Alabama and Clemson, how it sets up, that they both are huge favorites. Uh, after we had this college football year where it's been pretty close and pretty even through the whole way, and now you have everybody saying, should this team get in? Should that team get in? Well, now they're here to play. And now this is Notre Dame's chance to prove that they deserve to be in this. Wanna, is there any other games you're focusing on uh, this weekend or this coming week? Miami, Wisconsin, Thursday at uh, in New York uh, at the at the bowl. It's weird though when you hear about all these games and stuff. I mean, the other bowls. If you notice it, it's a lot of starters aren't playing. People are sitting out. Um, uh, even the Florida Michigan game, the Peach Bowl in Alabama on Saturday. That's the first, that, that'll game be the first the game before the two championship games or playoff games. Uh, but. In the, in the days when the Bulls first came, a lot of players did that. Like, they had other jobs to go to. So, like, some of these stars never played in their bowl games because they wanted to start with their lives or they wanted to stay in school and things like that. Um, but uh, it seems like a lot of players now are not going. The stars are just getting ready to go to uh, for the NFL Combine and yeah. not competing. And Michigan is missing, I think, three or four of their starters for the game. But it's a way for a lot of – the bowl games are interesting for some teams because it's a way for you to look for next year, how these players are going to – how the team's going to look next year, who's going to be the quarterback back who's going to be the running back and, and uh, it'll be interesting but I would say the Miami Wisconsin game and then Florida Florida Michigan and the Peach Bowl in Atlanta but of course the two major games will be on Saturday afternoon and night it's 756 this is Ira on sports 95.9 the true oldies channel I'm Mike Balsamo let's talk a little basketball Ira because not only were you at the Steelers versus Saints yesterday you took in a Clippers Mavericks game and I said it on this show, I and I think you were in the camp with me that I thought Luka Doncic was going to be the real deal. And so far, this guy looks the part. Well, it was Thursday night. I was tired. I was in L.A. And I just wanted to – I didn't want to see the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers are really a boring team to watch. They actually won a lot of games. This, But I wanted to see Luka Doncic play. He's 19 years old, 6'7", Serbian. He, I've been hearing about, hearing about him for four years. Uh, and there's a question whether how, was he athletic enough to play in the NBA. I, I mean, if there's ever a question, just watch him play. <laughs> I wouldn't compare him to Larry Bird. I, he's not. He's just a good basketball player. Like he can shoot, he can dribble. His great court sense. I wanted. I was really just taking pictures of him, watching him in that game. I mean, they were the. Uh, it was. It was the Clippers won one twenty five, one twenty one. But he had thirty two points, three for six from threes. Four rebounds, five assists, and four steals. But I was just amazed at how quick he was on defense. How he—he's just a basketball player. He just knows how to. He just—he he runs the play, runs the point, gets rebounds. He's great to watch. He's gonna—he and he's 19. I mean, he's like someone who, when he's 33, is gonna have 30,000 points in this league. He is—he looks and he doesn't look like like Persingas. When you look Persingas and for for Knicks, you're like, boy, that guy looks like he can get hurt. He's gangly. He's fragile. Doncic yeah. looks like he's been playing basketball since he's been two years old. I mean, he's dribbles between it is the total handle dribbles he has everything like at the tempo for uh the greek freak for milwaukee doesn't shoot three don't shoot threes but don't shoot pass as well handles the ball just does everything like you'd want him in a one-on-one game you'd want him to play because he knows how he can score and he plays tough defense too and he's quicker than everyone thinks he is 
So I, I, I was just very impressed to see him play. Uh, and the Mavericks have had an interesting year, and it was a great draft pick. I mean, what a draft pick for uh, Mark Cuban to pick Doncic. He, he's going to be the steal. He's going to be the player of this draft. So he'll, he'll be the rookie of the year, but not just a rookie of the year. I think he's a player that, as I said, will be first-team NBA All-Star for a long, long time. Uh, Ira, is, is it just me, or does he look like he's watching him play? If he didn't look at just his face, he, he's got like the, the style of like a 26, 28-year-old. The fact that he's 19 amazes me with how good he is at everything he does. We're seeing rookies come up, uh, Markel Fultz, who's uh, older than him. We're seeing you know, the Knicks draft of the guy Frank Incantilla. These guys look like little kids. Luka Doncic, maybe in the face, but the body and the style he plays, he's a, he's a grown man. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's someone who has been in the public eye, and people just thought it was hard to see how he could translate in the American game that has more athleticism, but he's actually a great athlete, and he carries all those European stuff. How can I say this? You know, he's like a taller Ginobili. Like, I know that sounds a little weird in comparison. I haven't heard that from anyone. I'm making my own comparison. But he <laughs> seems to be someone who can score, can shoot, can just make bad. Like, watch Manu, Manu Ginobili score. You're like, wow, this guy can score. But he's, like, more athletic than Ginobili. Way more. than Ginobili. Yeah. And, of course, he's 19 years old when he's in the league. And Ginobili didn't come in the league until he was much older. So it's like he's that type of player. Like, he's someone who you want at the end of the game, give him the ball, he'll figure out a way to, to draw a foul, get something or make, I mean, he had a play shot the other night, uh, uh, you know, where he had a three, I think it was like two nights ago, that was, he was like falling out of the arena when he made the three. So just the, a tremendous player, and I'm glad I got the chance to see him. You know, they're, they're coining that term from already, and a lot of players do that, that step back three, but now they're saying that's like the Doncic move already. He, the, the kid's been in the league for <laughs> a month, and he's got a signature move already. Great draft pick by Atlanta via, or by, you know... <laughs> By Dallas via Atlanta. Um, Ira, you support the Heat just like I do. And before we move on from basketball, this team, I never know what I'm going to get, but they've been playing pretty good lately. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get from the Heat. They are, they are without a doubt one of the just, – just a very weird team. I mean, they've won five games in a row against fairly good teams, including the Rockets and the Pelicans. Uh, when they Goran Dragic get hurt, gets hurt, he's going to be out for two months. You're like, okay, he'd have no shot. And then they come back and they battle and they win five in a row. They're a very surprising team. Uh, the last uh, two weeks, uh, I've said this before. I think the key to the Heat is Josh Richardson. Uh, if Josh Richardson's been the leading scorer for the last four of the five games, if Josh Richardson can become a 25 to 20 to 25 point game scorer, become the leader of that team, then they're going to be a very good team. And they, they need to develop him. He's got to figure out a way to become that leader, that leading scorer. That's going to be his team. Uh, Dwayne Wade has been encouraging him, said all the right things. But as long if Richardson steps up, and you look at Richardson, and he's like, he's maybe an all, he has to be an all-star and maybe a second or third team NBA player, which he's clearly not right now. Then at that level, then you're, then you're thinking he'll be a star. Great analysis on that. It's 801 Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Of course, we're going over by a little bit. You want to know why? Because i got to talk a little bit of baseball with you, Ira. I'm a little bit, you know, I saw this come across my, uh, across my ticker, and it was Matt Kemp, Yasiel Puig, and Alex Wood uh, going for Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey is the prototypical middle-of-the-road pitcher. He's got his good starts. He's got his bad starts. He gets paid a ton of money for a, a you know a pitcher of his caliber. So what was your thoughts as soon as you saw this trade go through for the Dodgers? It's just a weird trade. 
And the trade that made it so weird was that the Dodgers, the Dodgers have a, have a messed up car, uh, payroll system. They're paying like $20 million to players that you never heard of. They signed a bunch of signed a couple of Cuban players that never amounted, but they actually count in the salary, in their salary cap. Um, they have not, they've shown un, no unwillingness to spend any amount of money. They didn't match for Greinke's contract, but short of that, they've, they pay whatever they want to pay. Um, they pay whatever, but I guess that there is a level where they have. And by shedding Kemp and Fuig and Wood, they were able to save $17 million. And they threw in prospects to the, to the Reds. Um, and now people are saying they are the front runner for Harper. And this is a play, as I've been saying before, I thought it was Machado was going to go there. But now they're saying it's, it's, this is the play for Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper seems to want to go to L.A. This is his destination that he wants to play. He grew up in, out west. He grew up in Vegas. And, uh, and he, but he definitely wants to play in L.A. Um, and now it's looking like they've cleared up, cleared up positions. Now, I don't know why. You know, the way the Dodgers play is they platoon a lot. They're not, certainly not going to platoon Bryce Harper when they pay him $30 million. And we're going to see what the total dollar amount is. But uh, it just it just looks like uh, it just looks like there is Bryce it looks like Bryce it looks like that that was a move to get Bryce Harper. Regardless, good move for the for the Reds. The Reds are a team that just I mean Matt Kemp's obviously passed his prime by a long shot. Yasiel Puig's prime never exactly happened after that ridiculous forty game stretch he had about five years ago. Alex Wood's a decent player. And all in all, uh, the Reds have so many holes. This, I don't think it's a bad trade for them either. Manny Mikado is making a very, very short circuit around the league. He's visited the Yankees, the Phillies, and the White Sox. I thought there'd be a lot more teams that he... I'm sure there's teams that want him, but it, obviously he's not interested in them. Where do you think this guy lands, I? Everyone's saying it's going to be the Yankees. I mean, that's weird. We go through this whole thing, and the two stars, one of them goes to the Dodgers. I sort of thought it was the other going to be the other way around, that Harper might go to the Yankees and Machado to the Dodgers. But the two teams that can afford. I mean, it, it's the point where that, that the rumors that the Phillies are offering both more money and that they don't want to go there, and they'd rather go to a team where they know they're going to win uh, and be competitive. And it looks like... That uh, I just can't see Machado going to the White Sox at all. I mean, I don't. They've been terrible. Uh, I don't think he wants. He's been at Baltimore in a situation where he's been the star player on a team that's been terrible. I just don't see him. I think he wants. I think it's a situation where I, I think he look. He played in. He went to the Dodgers. Happy. He was playing the World Series. Um, uh, the the Yankees. The Yankees have a situation where uh, they have a shortstop open at least for most of next year because D.D. Gregorius is injured. Uh, it's it's looking more and more that he's going to go to the to the Yankees and Harper's going to go to the Dodgers. You know, it's funny. You're right. I'm hearing the same rumors that Philly and the White Sox are just offering whatever they can to get this guy in. And it, I agree with you. Listen, the White Sox are bad. There's nothing on this team. Philly at least is building towards something. Like there's there's some young talent there that uh, I could give them. You know, maybe a shot of making the playoffs with Mikado. But the White Sox, I just can't see it. So yeah, if they're looking to win, I I think the Yankees is the way to go. Let's talk about a team, Ira, real quick that doesn't. They don't rebuild. They reload. It's the St. Louis Cardinals. Every time they have a down year, they seem to come back and be the best team in the NL. They very sneakily grabbed Andrew Miller on top of getting Paul Goldschmidt earlier in the month. Weird, you know, it's like, yeah, right. The Cardinals don't have these splashy moves, but they sign these players, and, like, you wake up, you go start to do a spring training, go over to the stadium, Roger Dean, and you're like, wow, Paul Goldschmidt. Isn't that guy <laughs> from Arizona? Wasn't he, like, win the batting title? Wasn't he, like, MVP candidate? Oh, that Paul Gold, that, that's the same guy? Like, how'd they get him? And Andrew Miller, wasn't he pitching, like, 
they make the right signings. They make under-the-radar signings. They make under-the-radar moves. That's why they have been one of the top franchises, you know, the best franchise in the history of the, of the National League, really, if you look at titles. Without a doubt, things. yeah. But they've been, over the last 20 years, a tremendous franchise. And, uh, uh, again, two really good moves. This division, I mean, when you look at the Pirates, what chance? Poor I mean, you Pirates. Like the Cardinals. The, you know, Milwaukee and Chicago, really, what chance? To, and then the Reds, the Reds are saying we're going to try. But when you have Milwaukee, Chicago, and St. Louis ahead of you, what chance do you have as a, if you're the Cubs, I mean, if the, if the Reds or the Pirates, to, to actually even make the playoffs, let alone win the division? Let's just real quick. i, I got to respect the team that wins a World Series, comes back and is still one of the best teams in baseball, and then they don't win, and they're stocking up. And that's Michael Brantley moving to um, moving to Houston from what was a pretty good Indians team that apparently is now in a rebuild uh, out of nowhere. But Michael Brantley, solid left fielder, is going to be playing for the Astros, and now they're almost overcrowded in the outfield. <laughs> Again, like these weird moves. But it's an interesting deal. You're starting to see. That's why this the Machado contract and the Harper contracts, the numbers are going to be what everybody's going to be looking for. That's going to be really interesting, too, because the, the money, the, the teams have, I think last year was the first year in 30 years, except that the one year they had cloak collusion, is that the salary went down. I think the average salary went four million dollars, so it's not like it went down to nothing, <laughs> but, but like a but it had like a small percentage. But you haven't seen the crazy like I cannot believe eight year the number the contracts you have not seen, and you see salaries like that two years thirty two million. So you're seeing the big money contracts for a year, and not seeing them the, the long term for for these average players. That's a good signing for the Astros. Two years thirty two million for for Brantley. I, I was going to say that's a steal. Uh, you know, based off what other people are going for, sixteen million dollars for a guy that's got a six war uh, he, he's he, you know he's an all-star <laughs> it's a great signing nowadays and like you said at two years not nine and eight like some of these guys are demanding uh real quick before we wrap up iron sports boxing ira and you think the heavyweight division might be coming back well, it's a small little fight. Dylan White beat Derek Chisner in the 11th round. But now with White winning, you have Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. Like, and you're going to see a lot of boxing on TV. You see it now that in terms of ESPN jumping into the UFC business and boxing. So the heavyweight division is getting really good. Uh, and, uh, I mean, Tony Harrison upset Jim Carl Carla for the junior middleweight this past week, which was also a, a good fight. But I do like the fact that it said coming into this year, you're going to see people watch sports like, wow, isn't it crazy? Because the UFC is going, it's, on January 1, the UFC now goes to ESPN. ESPN has doubled up all the boxing they're going to be doing. If you listen to their shows, the highlights, they're going to start covering boxing more, UFC more, uh, and it's going to get into there. If you just, you know, just watch Sports Center and those things, you're going to watch it. So, no, it's, there's some good fights coming up this year. More boxing, and uh, and I like the fact that it, a lot of it's not going to be on pay per view. Uh, in terms of you know nobody wants to spend a hundred dollars just to watch the boxing anymore. For for I mean if it's a major super fight between McGregor and Mayweather, maybe once every two three years that someone would pay for it. But in general, I think boxing with them was a bad. It was bad that it was going to that mo- that model where they were just everything was on pay per view. We are out of time. I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and Happy Christmas Eve from everyone here at Ira on Sports on 95.9, the True Oldies channel. On behalf of Ira, let's talk next Friday night, uh, next Monday night, Ira on Sports.